Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. As you know, for the last many Wednesday nights, I've been using the word fatal with another word as the title of the message. Fatal decisions, you know, people departing from the faith, fatal departure. Second was about fatal attitudes, fatal speech. Well, I've come up with one more tonight, and I want to call it fatal neglect. See, the word fatal can simply mean ruin, like a fatal attraction or a fatal choice. It may not kill you, but it may ruin your life or ruin others about you or ruin a good opportunity. Or the word fatal can also apply to to failure. But we most understand the word fatal by the word death. You know, a fatal disease. It takes a life. And fatal in a lot of ways. Well, in the Christian realm, in, in Christianity, the word fatal also, when coupled with things that are opposed to what God wants, they can become fatal also. I mean, you can lose a whole lot if you're not careful. And so I want to look tonight at Hebrews chapter 2 to begin with and take our text from chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, does that tell us that if we have heard the word, even thought about it, mulled it over, that it can slip, whatever slip means, that they can slip away from us? Doesn't it mean that? I want you to join me now. I want to make sure you understand what I'm talking about because teaching is of no value if people don't listen and don't think about it. And it's not intended to be a dull thing. It's intended to be a learning thing where we can begin to see the things that God says to us. But we have to think. We have to use the faculties God gave us. And the Bible says, because this is something we must be responsible for, he said we ought to give the more earnest heed, and we know what that means, to the things we've heard. Now, we don't often always do that. In fact, quite often, Christians neglect to do that. And the word which God sends, and he calls it, among other things, calls it a sword, which is designed for you to use in warfare. If you neglect to give heed to it, you have nothing that the Lord is going to use in your life to make good. When you come into the warfare of life and the battles of life, you got a zero. When you try to find yourself, you know, oh, God, do something, he'll say, I've told you what I will do. You just didn't listen. You let it slip. The word just means to pass by. You saw it, it's like the, as I've said before, the log floating down the swollen river. You see it coming. You notice it. You could describe it to somebody else, but once it's gone, it was no big deal. You just let it go. Now, that's what is intended to be meant here in Hebrews chapter 2. The Word of God, Jesus said, is the one thing that is necessary. One thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen a good part. The Bible is the one thing that God said man lives by. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The Word is the one thing that God watches over. Of all the things He watches over, the one thing He watches over to perform in Isaiah 55 is His Word. Now, He gives us His Word because only He can do that. Now, we can read the Bible all we want to. We can go to some school and study it and all of that, but only God can give revelation of it. 
Only God can show us what it is because a lot of people have eyes to see, but they don't see. They have ears to hear, and academically they can hear and, and assimilate the facts and so forth and come up with the right answer on a test. But it doesn't change their life. It doesn't affect their daily way of living because they don't give heed to it. It's just a word. It's not a living word. It's just a word. But when that word that God describes is how we live, when it's offered to us, and that's what grace does, it's God giving us grace or favoring us. And look, I'm going to open your eyes tonight. I'm going to show you something that you're really going to need in your life. I'm going to open your eyes to see how important this is. I'm not saying this to everybody. I'm saying it to those who listen. And then he speaks a word to us if we're ready to go and hear it. Then we're warned about what we heard. You know, the Bible says, He that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him it is sin. But he says here, We ought to give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest at any time, and I would add to that, we get so distracted by the world and the busyness of our life and routines and schedules and family and jobs that we forget what we've heard and it slips by and it doesn't affect our success or our goodwill. Now, the word can slip, and we're responsible to make sure it doesn't. It's not like you read the Bible and, you know, God says, well, whatever I said, I'm just going to do it because you read it. He said, don't let it slip. Give the more earnest heed. Pay careful attention to what God is saying. Not everybody hears it. My parents went to church their whole life and knew little of anything at all about the Bible. They knew the stories. But as far as daily life, the way the Word of God should affect our life, it was never an issue. It was never a fact. My daddy was a Catholic. They didn't teach the Bible. He didn't know anything except how to go through the Catholic rituals. And therefore, his life was never affected by the Word. His misery was the same as the misery of everybody else in the world. He just did the best he could with what he had, we'd say, which was nothing. It didn't have to be like that. My daddy was robbed. My mother was robbed. The devil ruined a lot of their lives because they didn't know the word. Nobody taught them. Somebody forgot to put them in remembrance. Somebody forgot to be committed to telling them what the truth is and then keep insisting on that you live this way. They call that legalism today. Somebody forgot to ram this down our throats. How's that sound? That's a good conservative speech, isn't it? Let me tell you something. If it's not jammed down our throats here to use that, if it's not insisted on in this place, in the church, where will it be insisted upon? Will IBM do it? Will AT&T do it? Will the Democrat? No. Will they do it? No. This is where we do it right here. And you're warned. He said... Because Hebrews has at least six major warnings in the book. And here's one. He says, we ought to give the more earnest heed the things we've heard lest at any time. They slip. They pass you by. Now, we want to look at tonight at three things about this. One, what neglect means. A couple of passages in the scripture where it's used. And then how it is used in the sense of being fatal. Let's look first of all at some things that it says what the word means. The word neglect means to give little attention or consideration to. And I guess the reason people don't give a lot of attention to things is because it doesn't have great meaning in their life. 
I think we tend to neglect things we don't want in our lives. I think that's true when you hear the Word of God that poses a challenge to the way you're living. And we really don't want to change because we like what we're doing, even though what we're doing is wrong. And we really don't want to give up some habit or some lifestyle or some passel of friends because we derive a certain amount of pleasure from it, even though the Bible tells us we shouldn't do it. So whenever somebody preaches about it, we tend to daydream or look around or neglect to heed it, which simply means we don't heed things we don't want to. Now, the Bible calls that kind of activity iniquity. Iniquity is, has to do with self-centeredness and the sin that goes with it. And in the last days, that's going to be a big deal. But to leave things undone or unattended to is neglect, like mowing the yard when you should. For me, carrying out the garbage. Or can you all remember when you were there, homework? Do they still do homework today? Or they let you all off the hooks? We used to have homework. We used to have to take the thing home, read it, figure it out at home, and then bring it back to class the next day, done. And if you didn't, if you neglected to do that because you didn't want to, you thought maybe you could get by with it anyway. So if you neglect to do that, it showed up on your report card, which meant your parents were not happy with you. But we do neglect things. We're just not interested in We don't go to church on the night. They're going to talk about a subject you don't want to hear because you just don't want to hear it. We neglect those things. We avoid those things. We disregard those kind of things. Now, the Greek word that we're going to look for the most simply means without concern for. Amaleo. I know you're interested in Greek words, but the word means without concern for or to not care for. A good example of this in 1 Timothy 5, if any man provide not for his own, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's not good. There's a whole lot of children running around in this world with abandoned fathers. Fathered these children, but they have nothing to do with them. They're all infidels, according to the Bible. Now, they don't want to be told they're infidels because they make a lot of money or they're famous. But the Bible says they're infidels. Well, the father who's a workaholic doesn't want to spend time with his kids to impart his life to them and his care and concern and attention to them, but just works all the time, gives them 10 bucks, buys them a new bike or maybe a car. He's not providing their needs either. Too many little girls today, you could say boys in a different sense, but too many little girls today are looking for affection outside of their father and their home, and that's from other boys. That's not good. And one of the roles of a father, we're not here to talk about that tonight, is to be a father to his daughter, to show her what it's like to be respected, to be cared for, and to be edified. A daddy should do that. And a lot of little girls never grew up with that. A lot of boys didn't grow up knowing how to be a boy either. Their mom raised them, and they don't know how to be a daddy. So when they grow up, they become men who have babies or little kids, but they abandon them too. They don't know how to live. You see, the Bible says, if any man provide not for his own, that man, whoever he is, has denied the faith, the Christian faith, and is worse than an infidel. That's not a good thing. Trust me with that one. 
So simply, our word neglect means to disregard, to ignore. It means to hear without heeding. It means to just turn away from it, to deny. To disregard, in some cases, means to deny, and that's where it will become fatal. But before we get to that, let's look at a couple of scriptures. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Let me show you a couple of places where the word neglect is used. It's not used very often in the New Testament, I think three or four times. But the Greek word is used more than once. The English word neglect comes from a Greek word, amaleo, which is not only translated neglect, but it's also translated in other ways. We'll show you in just a moment. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he shall hear thee, you have gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two or three more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. A heathen man is a man with no attachment to God. And a publican is one who has no Christian fellowship or is away from Christian fellowship. His inspiration would not be spiritual at all. You shouldn't be around people like that. In this chapter, he's talking about if somebody is offended by another brother. Maybe two guys are out fishing, and one of them misses a good catch, and his brother said, man, you can't fish a lick. He said, why don't you shut up? But he's not kidding. He's really upset. Kind of a tense moment. He said, I'll tell you more and shut up if you don't leave me alone. Anyway, the brother's offended. So they get on the shore. He said, brother, you shouldn't have talked like that to me. And so he says, none of your business. I talk, blah, 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 blah. So the brother goes back. He gets two other buddies. He said, I want you guys to go with me. I got a problem with our brother here. I'm concerned about him. Do we have a right to do this? you have any scriptural basis for doing this besides that? Or are we minding our own business? Galatians 6.1, if you see a brother overtaking the fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. So the offended brother takes a couple of guys, big guys, and he goes to this guy who offended him, and he says, now I'm going to ask you a second time. i got these guys here for witnesses. So it's not my word against your word. He said, she said, they said, I've been there a couple times trying to chase that rabbit. And the more you chase it, the bigger it gets. One time I chased it all the way to the source. And you know what the source said? Well, that's what I thought she meant. And I said, you mean you said what you said to the church mouth? You said all of that on the basis of what you thought she said, not what she said. Now, you've caused a lot of trouble here. And by this time, this rumor is crazy. But that happens because we just can't keep our mouth shut. We have to tell somebody. I don't mean witness. So this brother goes up and he says, I want you to repent of what you said to me. You know, you told me to shut up and I was ignorant. Now, these brothers are here. If you'll repent, we'll drop it right here. He says, just mind your own business and walks off. Now, he goes back to the whole church. Have you ever seen this done to church? Me neither. Because you get sued today if you do it by some people. But regardless, he says, if he will not hear you because we don't want this kind of stuff to exist in a church, 
you bring an unrepentant heart in here, it's some kind of a hindrance. It's not a free spirit. So he comes in. We stand before the whole church. Ah, brother so-and-so, we were fishing the other day, and he called me stupid, or whatever I said he called me. He told me to shut up and get out of his boat. That was not good. And I brought these two brothers to verify that. Did he say that? Yes, he did. The Bible said, let that man be unto you as a heathen and a publican. But here's the word neglect. If he neglect to hear you, tell it to the church. If he says, I ain't going to listen to you. Who are you? To t- I'm as close to God as you are. Get out of my face. So that's what he's talking about here. He said, if he neglect, in verse 17, if he neglect to hear them, tell it to the whole church. If he neglect, well, see, that's a bad word. But it's a choice. And we all live by choices. Look also in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself totally to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Notice these words. Take heed unto yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you shall both save yourself and who else? Let me tell you something about that, because I'll get to it again in just a minute. That puts a premium on not only the one who is doing the preaching and the teaching, but on the people who come to listen. Is there salvation in preaching the truth? There is. It's not forced upon you. It's offered to you. It's yours to take. But he said, Timothy, don't neglect the gift that is given you. Now, what the gift is, I don't know. But it was something that God gave them. It was given through prophecy. We don't see much of this today either, but it happened in the Bible. Somebody prophesied and something happened to Timothy. Some kind of a special endowment or anointing to do something specific. Maybe it was to preach. Maybe that's why Paul said to Timothy, he said, you know, don't be timid. God never gave you a spirit of fear. Don't let people look down upon you because of your youth. You've got a gift that nobody else has. Now use it. Stir up that gift that is within you. If it's preaching or if it's exhortation or if it's teaching the Word, don't neglect the gift. Your people need it. God gave you the gift not for yourself. The gift is for the church. They need it. And he said, don't neglect the gift, but give yourself totally to these things. What things? The Word. Did he say that in verse 11? Give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Doctrine. Verse 15, meditate on these things. And in verse 16, he says, take heed to yourself. You're a special person. You're not better than anybody else, but you're carrying around something that is special from God. Do you understand what I'm saying? God has given you something for his people. You didn't get it out of seminary. You didn't get it by hard work and effort. Gifts don't come that way any more than salvation because you try harder than anybody else. It's all grace. You can't work and get saved. You get saved because of grace. God does that. And when he gives you a gift, 
that's a measure of grace that is given to that church, to the people. And if there's anointing on a man's life, you need to hear it. He didn't say he would be a good speaker. He didn't say he would be eloquent. He would not say that he would be a master of the Bible as far as quoting it. It just says that he has a gift. And the gift is special and it's unique because you can't buy it and you can't earn it. It can only be given from God. And the purpose of the gift is for God's people, to do them good. They'll be better off receiving that gift through you than they would have been if they had never heard it. So because this is a call on your life, Timothy, or you young folks in here that are called to preach, pay attention to what God has given you. Work on it. I mean, study it. Learn. Hide this word in your heart. It's the word that God is going to use to break down strongholds and to build you up. So hide this word in your heart. Make it something that you need and make it something they need. And take heed to yourself. Don't get so involved in the world or trying to get money or trying to be famous and make a big church and all the big programs that sidetrack you so much because the bigger it gets and the more it costs, the more you have to water down what you're saying so you don't offend anybody. Then you have a crossless church. The ways of Christ become offensive to people. You can't preach the word anymore. You've got to preach what's smooth stuff. Is still in the Bible something about prophesying smooth things? This world is getting so full. The church in this world is so caught up in comfort and happiness. Make me happy. Make me comfortable. Say what I like to hear. Make me feel good. Make it fun. Don't make it long. And I'll come back. And people know that there are certain things in this Bible that really works and people really respond to. And there are some things in this Bible, if you want to keep your job, you need to leave it alone like the permanency and the purity of marriage. Better leave that alone because, boy, you're going to ruffle the feathers. And don't say anything about holidays. And don't say anything about voting. Leave all that alone. Because so many in the church are involved in the world. They can't get away from all of this. So he said, neglect not the gift that is within thee. Now, in what way then does the word neglect lead to something fatal? Once you turn back to Matthew... In chapter 22, and I want to show you several places where in Matthew and Timothy again, where it speaks of things fatal. Matthew chapter 22. Let's begin the first verse. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables, and he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Probably an allusion to the Jewish people that Jesus came for. But anyway, verse 4, And again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready, come into the marriage. Verse 5, But they and the word made light of it, or made light of, is a word amaleo, from which we get the word neglect. It's the same word. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. In verse 7, But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, 
And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murders and burned up their city. And then he goes on to say, I think in the next verse, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Now let me ask you a question. Show you how fatal this word neglect is. Is the king somebody important? Was what he was doing important? Did he esteem it important? Did the king make a big deal out of this wedding? It was the king's expense. It cost the people nothing. Again, it's a picture of grace. The people had only to come. The invitation was come. I have prepared for you a table, and the oxen is killed. My son is going to be married. I want everybody to enjoy this. I'm going to make it happy for you, and I want you all to come. So stop what you're doing. Give me your attention and come to the wedding. And the people didn't really go that way. They looked at the king and his announcement and his son. Again, you can read between the lines here spiritually. And they made light of it. They neglected it had no interest in it. And those that came were abused and mistreated, probably the prophets that were sent in the Bible. Then he said, go out in the highways and byways. These were not worthy. I think he goes on to say, go out and bid others to come. That would be us. But here's what the king said. He said he sent his army. He was wroth. We'd probably say angry. The king was angry, and he sent his armies... And they went out, and it says, They sent forth his armies and destroyed those murders and burned up that city. That's what they were busy doing. They were busy murdering and building and just doing things. They had no interest in what the king wanted. The king was angry. Now, in a spiritual picture, those that treat God and his coming wedding, the wedding of his son to his bride, the church, Those who don't pay much attention to that, don't care much about that, really aren't that interested in that, sort of, that goes in one ear and out the other. That's one of those words that kind of slips. We've heard it for so many years. It's no big deal. That could become a fatal choice. Because if God says he's going to prepare his table and his wedding of his son is ready and the bride made herself ready, you make sure you're in that. Don't be one of those guests that they're without a wedding garment on. Because Jesus said he'd cast that one out too. So the fatal neglect here is that what the king wanted, the people didn't want. And so they continued living their lives as they wanted to. They rejected what he said, and therefore, they lost all that they had. Look at Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 8 talking about his covenant here. He said, For finding fault with him, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. Now, was that a fatal choice the people made to continue not? Now, see, we could read that and not get it. But here's the deal. The covenant comes from God. God gives us the covenant. And he offers you a chance to be a part of it. They stepped into it and then stepped away from it and got tired of it. Same old, same old. You know, offering sacrifices, priestly duties. They got tired of it. 
They looked for something else. They wanted something different. So they walked away from it. The Bible says they continued not. It was a choice. And because they made that choice, God says in verse 9, and I regarded them not. Is it true that if you reject him, that he can reject you? Now, do you think that's fair? Do you really? But this is the covenant, verse 10, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and will write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. It appears that the whole purpose of this covenant that God is talking about, we'll talk about in just a second, is a relationship. He'll be your God. How do the people in the Old Testament know much about God as Father? There was no way they could please Him. They failed every time they tried. They had that law, legal code. It was righteous. It was holy. It was what God wanted of a man, the law, just like the Ten Commandments. They're not unrighteous to love God and honor God and then to honor your parents and don't commit adultery and don't steal and don't lie and don't covet and don't bear a false witness. That's not wrong. That's a good thing. This is what God wants. But man, man couldn't live up to that because he made bad choices. And here's the deal. If you break one law, if you break one law, you're a lawbreaker. In those days, if you sinned in some way, there was no way to remove the sin. You could cover it with the sacrifice because it was a type. It was typical of what was coming. They couldn't get rid of it. And year by year, these Israelites were reminded they were sinners. They were bound to their sins. Couldn't get away from it. Blood of bulls and goats can't take away sins. There's a barrier between man and God. The veil in the temple was a type of that. No man can approach God. Man is a sinner. He's bound to his sins. No matter how hard he tries to do better and to clean up his act, he can't. For the nature of death is in him. Everything he does kills him. He can't do right. There's none righteous. Then the Bible say this, all we like sheep have gone astray. There is none. You mean not even one? Not even one. And But there was one who came who was without sin. He was sinless from his birth to his death. You know that, don't you? Never did he sin. In fact, when he hung on the cross, he was a sin bearer. He was God's sin offering. How many of you know that when he offered a lamb to the priest on the Day of Atonement, it was a perfect lamb. You took it in your house several days to examine it. You look between its toes. You look at it, see if there was any blemishes on it. And it came like a pet to the kids. Then you offered that up to God. How many of you know the lamb isn't guilty of anything? But in place of your sins, in type, the lamb bears your sin. We call it the doctrine of substitution. Somebody in your place for you which is what Christ did for us. 
And so these people were bound to their sins. The law, which was holy and good, was what killed them. Paul said, I was alive once without the law. Then the commandment came and sin revived and I died. Or as Paul said in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. Oh, we could still live and work. We still go to church. We can get married and have kids and be the president. But we're dead. Because if we died, if you died, you're dead forever. Or you're alive in another dimension, but it's not with God. There's a place of death you don't want to go. I'm just thinking about it because a, a dear friend of mine, I mentioned Sunday, his son died last week. As I understand, he died without Christ. I hope he didn't. There's a window of opportunity there that we don't know, so you got to give it that. But as far as the life all the way up to this, as a kid, you walk away from the church, walked away from all of this, have fun, make a lot of money, do whatever you want to do. Nobody's your boss. One day, there's a knock on your door. It's the angel of death. He sent for you. And when he comes, that's it. There's no tomorrows. There's no fixing any wrongs. There's no I'm sorry's. There's no forgive me's. It happens. It just happens. And after that, doesn't the Bible say it's appointed a man once to die, and after this, the judgment? Hebrews 9. After this is the judgment. And when that happens, it's over. You got a chance right now to do something about it. But back to where I was. Man was a sinner. He couldn't do a thing about it. He was lost and he was undone in his sins. And he said they continued not in his covenant and God regarded them not. Now let me quote a couple things. Whosoever shall deny me before others, before men, Jesus said, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Is that still true? There could be a number of reasons why we deny the Lord. It may be embarrassing. We're the only one that really believes in God, and we might get laughed at or might get ousted or ruled out or put aside or mocked or scoffed at. So we sort of tone down this Jesus stuff. But Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you. And that's the only hope you've got in heaven is a mediator between God and man, the one who stands at the right hand of God representing you to the Father. And if he denies you before the Father, that's fatal. Are you still with me? In Luke 9, 26, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. I don't want Jesus to be ashamed of me. You know, Hebrews talks about righteous men. He said he is not ashamed to be called their God. Now, could you say this, that there are a lot of people who call Jesus Christ God but live shameless lives? It could happen because there are some of those that Jesus said, I never knew you. Isn't that right? I ain't preaching hard. I'm telling you what the Bible says. It's not hard. Doesn't the Bible still say his word is not grievous, burdensome? It's the truth. This is what makes us free. Or there's a verse in 2 Timothy 2 that says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Remember when Asa was met 
by Azariah the prophet in Second Chronicles 16, verse 2. And he said to Asa, he said, As long as you seek the Lord, you will find him. But if you turn away from him, he will turn away from you. It doesn't mean you get sick and you just suddenly die. You still live a normal life. You just don't have anything. There's no quickening in you. You're not really concerned about your sins or your lifestyle or how you live and the kind of language you use. You're not really bothered by it. You're not really bothered by what you watch or who you hang around, the kind of stuff you talk about, the words you use. You're not really bothered by it because there's no conviction there because God alone brings conviction. And boy, when he leaves a person alone, that's the worst judgment that can come. If you're feeling guilty about some things in your life tonight, it's a real good sign that God's working on you. Because he doesn't have to. He's not required to. But he does for one reason. And you know what it is? Because he loves you. If he leaves you alone, he'll have to judge you. This covenant. Paul wrote this about the covenant. He said, For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. For this is my covenant that I will make with them when I shall take away their sins. Does the Bible say in Isaiah 53, Jesus bore guilt? Guilt is the knowledge of guiltiness. It's a mental state in which you know you deserve to be punished. Guilt. Now, when you take away a man's guilt, remember the song, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin not in heart, but the whole was nailed to the cross, and I've shared it around. He said, was nailed to the cross, I bear it no more. All those ornery, terrible things that Tommy Willis Hamilton did for 28 and a half years exactly have been washed away. I have entered into a new kind of life. God has invited me into something that he has ordained for me, for us. I could not make it. I could not earn it. I could not deserve it. But one day he sent his word into my heart. It broke my heart. It said, Abba, Father. And he brought me out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock. Remember this? And he he established my goings, and he put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God, and many shall see it and shall fear and shall trust in the Lord. God did it. Nobody else can do it. God brought me to him and has opened up to me not a list of rules and regulations, but a Savior, Jesus Christ, and has offered me a relationship with him. I'm afraid a lot of people's relationship with Jesus is based on flawed academics. Because a relationship, I'm way off subject, but it's okay now. A relationship with God is based on love. One word, love. And if love is anything at all, it's a commitment. It's a choice I make to do whatever he wants because it pleases him. It's just like when you get married, a man who loves his wife commits himself to his wife for her good. 
He wants her to do well because he married her, to take care of her, provide for her, to treat her as a woman ought to be treated. She commits herself to me if she loves me, don't you, Granny? Not because I earned it, not because I deserve it, because a lot of times I got a whole lot of good treatment when I didn't. Shake your head. When I didn't deserve it. I was still, how do you say this, Kentucky? I was still being nice to why would she be nice to me when I was ugly? Because the commitment she made to God and his word explains to her, this is how you live with your man. And you don't do this because you get something back. You do it because you made an agreement. It's a covenant. It's something between us. You read my word, you do it. You chose to love this man. You chose to marry him. Now you love him. What if he ups and leaves? If he's not a believer, you continue believing. You hold fast. And so this love thing is why I commit myself to God. Before her, before you, before my children. Jesus said, before your own life also. Greater love has no man than this. That a man would lay down his life for his friends. And he said, and you're my friends. If what? If you do what I tell you, keep my commandments. There's no higher caliber of life in existence for a mortal man on this earth than to love God. It's a compelling influence. It changes your whole life, everything you do. You quit doing all the bad things, drinking, cussing, smoking, running around. You quit doing everything that you used to do. No more justification, no more excuses, no more anything. You simply surrender your will to God. You've been bought with a price. You belong to Him. He brought you to Him. You didn't deserve it, but He gave Himself to you. And for you to live your life in agreement with him and live by this word is love. I think it's still in the Bible. I think it's still in the Bible. He that hath my commandments. Does that sound scriptural? Like John 14-ish? He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me like that shall be loved by my Father. But if he doesn't love me, well, uh, well, anyway, let's go on with this. And I'll let you reach a conclusion. Concerning the covenant, Jesus said in Matthew 26, verse 28, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Hebrews 8, in verse 10, he says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind, write it in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. That's a relationship. Think of this. You no longer have to live in this world uncertain. You no longer have to dread tomorrow. You no longer have to cower in the face of coming circumstances or political prognostications or predictions. You no longer have to confess I'm so tired and so weak and so poor and all of that stuff that people sing about. Because you have been brought out of darkness into the kingdom. Do you know the kingdom exists because God made a covenant? Redeemed people are in this kingdom. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim. Remember that song? Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed by His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Redeemed. I'm not going to sing it all. It's redeemed. 
suddenly mankind is brought face to face with God. The old covenant was based on obedience to a code of holy laws, and he couldn't do it. If he missed it one time, he's called a lawbreaker. There were no provisions in the Ten Commandments or any other part of the law to remove your sins. Once a sinner, a sinner. And in the fullness of times, Paul writes, God sent his son, made in the form of man, so forth. His name was Jesus Christ. He came to the world as a sin bearer. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. He lived holy and above reproach. Doesn't the Bible still say this? He offered himself without spot to God, whom God gave as an offering for our sins. Now, let me tell you about a covenant. The Hebrew word covenant is berith. And the root of that word means a cutting. And a covenant was symbolized by a sacrifice that between one who is superior and one who is inferior, there was an agreement made, spelled out and spoken. Now, an animal was cut in two, and the two agreeing parties walked between this animal to show their commitment to the terms of the covenant. Now, God didn't give us a law in the New Testament to live by. But we're not free to live any way we want to because Christ in your hearts, by His Spirit, is the one who directs you to the Word, and it says, this is the way walking in it. Now, somebody else beside you might not have heard the way you heard. Or they weren't convicted like you were. Do you have to do it if nobody else is doing it? Do you have to walk this way if nobody else is walking this way? Of course you do. Why do you have to do it if they're not? Because he spoke it loud and clear to you. They didn't hear what you heard. This is called the anointing. It's called the work of the Holy Spirit. He comes to convict of sin. And he tells you that all your whisperings and your letter writing and some of the things you talk about are really maligning yourself with him. He's going to judge you if you don't stop it. But at least he gave you the choice. He said, either you stop it or I will see to it that you stop it. Now, he does this because bringing you into his kingdom, he is compelled to cleanse you. Doesn't it still say in Malachi 2 that Jesus sits as a smelter? That's the one who, in the cleansing of ore, that Jesus will sit as a smelter and a cleanser, a refiner, and he will cleanse the sons of Levi. This is the priestly tribe. We're a kingdom of priests and so forth. Didn't he say that he would refine us and cleanse us? Didn't he say in Ephesians 5 that we would be washed and cleansed with the washing of water by the word? They said in John 15, 3, now you are clean through the word that I've spoken to you. Something is happening in your life if you're regarding his word. You're being cleansed. If you start neglecting his word, I promise you nothing's taking place. Well, you still come to church. Nobody's going to kick you out unless you get into some kind of a sin. I can't look at any of you out there and tell any of you how you're doing spiritually. I looked at people for 40-some years. Some people I was impressed with have already quit. I've seen a lot of young people just, yee boy, we're just on fire for God. And then one day they just quit. They walk away. 
got drunk, had a baby or something, and it's gone. And they were so on fire from one time. This is a personal relationship that you have with the Lord. I'm not who you please. You're not who I please. But if we please the Lord, he will do what we need to do here. But God made a covenant. And the mediator between God and man is Jesus Christ, who shed, did he shed his blood? Did he or not? It seems to me like we read at communion time, you know, when we take communion, he said that this is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And God said, he gave us his covenant, he said, this is what I will do. Y'all know all the things that he said in his covenant that he would do? He said, this is what happens. Everything the devil has done, I have undone through Jesus Christ. When he made atonement for your sins, I consider you justified and sanctified. Your sins have been taken away. You'll be glorified. Turn to Hebrews 2. I'll save you. And in saving you, he said these words. Hebrews chapter 2, again in verse 1, we started there tonight. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest at any time they should slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense or reward, how shall we, verse 3, how shall we escape if we what? It seems to me that to neglect such a great salvation is a fatal choice. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? What's salvation? It's what God is. Didn't he say in Psalm 91, verse 16, at the very end of that salvation, because we have set our love upon him and because he sets his love upon us, he winds up by saying that he will show us his salvation? The word saved, sozo, and the word salvation, soterion, which referring to the same thing, implies the idea of wholeness, healing, health, being saved, soundness. There is nothing left out while you're living on this earth that God has not provided for you in his covenant with you. He stands from his side and he said, this is what I agree to. We come to the Lord and we say, that's what we agree to. And as long as this covenant, as God watches over it, and we're faithful to do what he said, then these things will be given to us. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. But we have become so deadened by the world and by experiences of man, not by the word, but by what we've seen in people, that we have neglected to believe the things that God said. It's hard to believe that God heals because we're so aware of all the sick people in the church. And we would like to say we know that God heals, but we see so much that's not healed. Or prosperity, we see so much of that that it's not prosperous at all. Or protection in the people who get hurt. And we look at the world of all the crime and the sin and the corruption and the terrible ways that mankind is treated by other people, it's hard for us just to believe that God will do for us exceeding abundantly above all that. But he said he would. He said he would. If we measure God by the experiences of people, then we're bringing God down to the level of man. We look up, not down. We look unto him. 
he still says in Deuteronomy 7, 15, he said, I will remove all sickness from the midst of you. In Exodus 23, 26, he said, I am the Lord who heals you. One of his covenant names is Yahweh Rofikah. I'm the Lord that heals. That's his name. The Bible says, I wish above all things you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers in 3 John 2. Or Jesus bore our diseases and carried our pains. It means nothing to church folks. It means nothing. We base whether or not it's true by looking around at people who go to church and we don't see that, then we say, I don't know about that, so we neglect to listen to it. We don't even study it to see if it's right. I know what happens years ago when I heard it for the first time. And I've been stubborn my whole life. I began to search for myself. Down on the tape said, God would heal me. I never had been healed. Been sick my whole life. Learned how to be sick. Comfortable being sick. Had medicine for sick. I began to search it. I said, I want to see that. The more I would look, the more God would show me. Because I was willing to look. Now the Bible says faith comes by going to church. How's it come then? Hearing the word. The more I would read it. He sent his word, Psalm 107.20. He sent his word and healed them. He said in Proverbs 4, My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Like, don't let them slip. For they are life to those that find them. So if I'm going to find any of this and prove God to be true, I've got to search myself. I don't know if you all do or not, but I need to. I want to find out. And I begin to see it myself. And I begin to confess it was true. And I know what all my friends in church said. You said what? You God's going to give you a new what? <clears throat> a new car. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know where he got it either. And then one day the car came. How'd you do that? Well, I didn't. It was offered to me. Ask, he said, and you shall read. Well, I've read that too. I know. But when he said it to me, it was a living thing. And I believed it. And I asked and I held on. And one day it came. Then they wanted me to teach. Tell us more. Your testimony is a big deal. It is. Because this is your salvation. Your salvation is being saved from your sins and your past. It's being saved right now from the power of sin. And it will have to do to being delivered from a sinful state into an eternal state. You just have to hold fast. And the reason you can is because the Almighty God lets you. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And you'll find more labor and weariness if you walk with me because I'll wear you out. That's not what he said, is it? Nope. But he said, pay attention. I'll preserve you. We've had testimonies the last two or three weeks about how you've been preserved. That's part of being saved. Being saved is being preserved. Well, I know somebody else that wasn't preserved. I knew a man one time, a slab of coal fell him and killed him. You know, there's a lot of examples like that. I don't know what those people believe. I don't know what they might have said. I don't know what they believe. You can say anything you want to, but you believe what's in your heart. If it's not in your heart, saying it doesn't make it work. you got to believe it. Faith is the issue here. 
How shall we, if we neglect so great a salvation, what will happen to us? We don't have much hope. How do you neglect it? Let it pass by. Take it lightly. Don't pay much attention to it. Assume that it won't work for you. Just say, I don't, I don't know about that. Just say that. I don't know about that. And then close your mind to it. It'll go on by. Somebody might get it, bless their heart, but I ain't never seen that work. I don't know about that. I've never seen an eye healed or a tooth filled. Or I've never seen any of that. So just say that. That's what people say. I've heard this as much as you have. I don't know about that stuff that they preach of. I don't know about that kind of stuff. I can tell you what's in here. I can't make you believe it. But I can sure tell you what's in here. And I can tell you that for 41 years, 41 years, we have been without an aspirin. Now, that's pretty good. Have never had to claim any kind of a bill on our income tax in over 40 years. I would say something is good about that. Oh, he's crazy. Well, then leave me in a crazy state. Those people are nuts. Well, if they're nuts, they seem to be pretty well off. They must have fallen from a good tree. <laughs> a written agreement that God makes with us to take care of us and to keep us and to sustain us. That's his covenant with you. As I close tonight and end from what I've been saying, God has offered you himself. He said, I will be your God. And if you will commune with me, as he said in Psalm 91, in that secret place of the Most High, he goes on to say as part of his agreement, no evil shall befall you, no plague, that's an incurable ailment. No plague will come near your dwelling. And concerning you, he will give his angels charge, and they shall keep you in all your ways, lest you dash your foot against a stone. In Isaiah 54, he said, No weapon formed against you will prosper. In your side of the covenant, as long as you're holding on by faith and walking by faith. 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Verse 3, God did something. Let me show you what he did. He didn't have to. He chose to. This is what he did. According to his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Only God can do that. And this is what he offered to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. And this is what he is doing. Who are kept. K-E-P-T. Kept. Held fast by the actually the word means to guard like a, a guard of some place you are kept he has set his angels to keep you and to guard you against all the mistakes that so many people make he did that notice who are kept by the power of god through faith what else through faith through faith unto salvation Notice, follow me here. How are we kept? Now, wait a minute, now, wait a minute. Does God just keep us or is anything required? Is it true that some people are not kept because they have not believed? But he said we are kept by the power of God 
Through faith. Unto what? Is salvation by faith? Look at verse 9. Is it in your Bible? I hope it's in your Bible. Receiving the end of your faith, what? The salvation of your souls. It's the one thing he's looking for when he comes. And the Bible says when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Look at verse 7. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, that the trial of your faith might be found unto praise and honor and glory when? Listen to me in closing. One more time. Hang on to this. This is what love does for God. Love that is committed to God is why you are loyal and faithful to God or to your wife or to your family or to the church, to the Word of God or to your children. They need it. God shows you how to do it. It's faith that works by what? Love. That's the way it works. You love the Lord and you show it by being faithful. It's being faithful that exemplifies what the Bible means by faith. It's being faithful. Being doers of the word and not hearers only. That's what faith is. I choose to do what he said. You can't make me do it. I must choose to do it. There's no other way I can do it. I can't please God doing anything else. And I read this book. And he said, this is what I will do. This is the terms of my covenant. This is what I will do. This is what I'm going to count on. And what did Paul write to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15? And that from a child... You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto what? Salvation. Do you have to grow in it? Do you have to learn about it? Do you have to be faithful to its terms? That's what he said. As he said in 1 Peter 1, 9, Receiving the end of your faith. It's only for this life. You don't need it in heaven. You need it now. Faith you need now. Hope is what causes your faith to work. Faith is the substance of things hopeful. But love will take you all the way into heaven. It's the greatest of the three. But anyway, can I give one more verse? Second Peter, chapter 1. This is it. I'll let you go home. Second Peter, chapter 1, and verse 12. Wherefore, Peter writes, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them. And be established in the present truth. What if I said to you? Now I know you folks have already heard this. And I know you know this. But I want to tell you again. Is that right? To all beef, patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. How do you know that? Because you heard it. You listened to it. When I was a kid, you got in Fountain Ferry Park. That was a long time ago. If you can sing on Pepsi-Cola day, Pepsi-Cola hits the spot, 12 full ounces, that's a lot. Bounce, 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 go get Pepsi for the Pepsi bounce, you get in free. Well, you'd be sure I stood there and sung it loud. It was either that or pay a nickel, and I didn't, I'd rather just go in by singing. But he says, I'm going to put you in remembrance. I'm not going to neglect to do this because a minister's job is not to make people believe, but to inform people what God requires of them. The choice to believe is yours. You will either make it or you won't. My job is to tell you what he said and to keep on saying it, though you already know it. I think we call it same old, same old. Amen. Would you bow your head? Father, we thank you tonight for your word. It is true. It does truly make us free.
It does deliver us from all of our fears. It does establish us. I ask you to bless these that are here tonight with an understanding of your word. I pray that you would grant us in this church to be students and disciples, to be learners of the truth. You put such a premium on your word. Help us to be faithful to it, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.